Double, double, toil and trouble. Some topics discussed may make people uncomfortable. For fair is foul and foul is fair. On this podcast, we will definitely swear. A lot. Now round the cauldron go. Trigger warnings listed in the notes below. Thrice and once the hedge pig whined, the cocktails cry, it's time, it's time. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Maiden, mother, crone. Plot twist, we're all the crone. The stories aren't all made up and the points don't matter. Welcome listeners to The Weird Sisters, a podcast about the blurst and bizarre and all the things you were happier not knowing about. Hello, I'm Lacey and I'm those childproof caps that you can never get off. I am the instant pudding mix you found at the back of your pantry, but don't remember buying? Tay! I'm Laura. I am the fentanyl cocktail that will put you to sleep forever. Oh, I want one of those. (laughs) I know. Big sleep. (laughs) The big sleep. The final sleep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Excellent. Bottoms up. So the theme for this week is poisonings. Um, A favorite topic of mine. I do like a good poisoning. Mm-hmm. You do. Oh. You've um, told mm-hmm. us about quite a few uh, women poisoners over the years, which is always very fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like them. <laughs> I think it was because reading Agatha Christie from a very young age, uh. <laughs> she was very into poisons. Um, she used to work in a pharmacy. Oh. Yep. Right, what you, right, know. What you know. Yep. Actually, there's a really good (laughs) book I have for like a writing um, sort of reference and it's all of her poisonings in her book. It's called A is for Arsenic. Oh, that's cute. I like it a lot. It's very nice. Yeah. So I'm actually starting off today. Mm -hmm. And what a good topic to have Mm -hmm. for the start of spooky season, by the way. The lead up to October is upon us. (sighs) Stay home and save Halloween, guys. I am yes. kind of happy that there won't be any trick-or-treaters because I want to eat the candy. Does <laughs> <laughs> not put any razor blades in there? No. No. <sighs> Disappointing. No. I want a poison pixie stick. <sighs> <laughs> I was actually overseas when um, all that strawberry needle stuff was happening, so oh, I missed all that. Oh, God. Mm. It's probably a good thing you missed Yeah, that. I was that having was a great, time. great time eating fruit. Do we know what happened um, with that? Like, I didn't there follow was, it. It just tempered up, but there was a lot of right? copycats. Ah, of course. Which is kind of actually a good lead-in to my story today. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> All right, guys, I know I've told you this one before, but we're into it. <laughs> and this time yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I've told you this at a bar. No, definitely we don't not. Remember, we no, don't we don't remember it. Alcohol has blanked this memory out. <laughs> yep. Excellent. All right. So get ready for the Tylenol murders. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like how you pretend yes. that I don't know what I'm doing when we all have to coordinate the murders. I can't remember what we spoke about <laughs> 10 minutes ago. So even if you do tell me, I'm like, I have no idea what, what's going on. What are we doing? Why? Hmm? You've got a good goldfish mode going there. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, let us go. On September the 29th, 1982, 12-year-old Mary Kellerman complained to her parents about having a runny nose and a sore throat. Her parents decided to give her one extra-strength Tylenol capsule to combat the the symptoms. 
An hour later, her parents found her lying on the bathroom floor and immediately took her to hospital where she was pronounced dead on arrival. Mary Kellerman's death was the first of the still unsolved Tylenol murders and over the course of three days, seven lives would be lost in Chicago. Only months later, it would change the way we purchase and consume over-the-counter medications forever. Woo! (laughs) All right, let's go. Meanwhile, so same day, in another Chicago suburb, 27-year-old poster worker Adam Janus was taken to the hospital. His breathing was laboured and his blood pressure was alarmingly low. Despite paramedics' best efforts, Adam died soon after his arrival at the hospital. Distraught and driving back from the hospital, Adam's brother Stanley, 25, along with Stanley's wife Teresa, 19, began suffering from headaches induced by their grief. When they got home, they each popped two Tylenol tablets um, for the headaches and shortly afterwards, they both collapsed on the floor and died. So, like, their parents lost both of their sons same day, within hours of each other. That's so sad. Yeah. Can you imagine, though? Yeah. Can you imagine your children dying and not knowing what happened? Yeah. Like, that's what would really fuck people up. Both so young, 25 and 27. So young. God. That is you. me. You're the 27 club I'm 27. Oh. Hold out for the year, man. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um, a nurse named Helen Jensen, amazing, amazing, amazing Helen Jensen, was at the hospital when the Janus family arrived for the second time. While speaking to while speaking to Adam Janus's wife, Teresa, so both brothers married women both called Teresa. <laughs> okay. It's, I thought that was cute. Oh. Um about his activities that day, she mentioned that he purchased a bottle of Tylenol after feeling ill at work. Stanley and the other Teresa took pills out of the same toxic bottle later that day. This led Jensen to conclude that there was something wrong with the Tylenol. Well, Jensen went to... against protocol and went to the Janus's residence and there she saw the bottle of extra strength Tylenol. She counted the pills. In an interview with Patch.com, Jensen said, Quote, I counted up the pills and saw six capsules missing and there were three people dead. I said right then and there, it's the Tylenol, unquote. But unfortunately, for three more victims, the police did not believe her. (sighs) Quote, I said, this is the cause. And of course, nobody would believe me. I stamped my feet and they said, oh, no, it couldn't be. It couldn't be, unquote. Why would you think it couldn't be it? Like... That always sort of blows my mind of people being like, oh, no, it couldn't possibly be. But it's like, it could, unless you it have could. a really good reason it could be why anything. it couldn't be that. Like, mm. if you're like, it has to be the butler, and you're like, no, I literally was hit with him this entire time. I watched him, and so did four yes. other people. There's no way in hell it was the butler. Then you'd be like, oh, okay. But if you're like, it couldn't be the medicine, it's like, why? Why could it not be the medicine? Because why? Tylenol's safe. That's stupid. Safe. It's safe. It's safe. So only after testing, the police were able to identify the Tylenol pills had been laced with potassium cyanide. And the containers that they were in had an almond-like smell, which is a telltale sign of the poison. So it wasn't just, you know, a fatal dose of cyanide. It was a lot of, it was probably 10,000 times the amount of, 
average amount to kill a person. Oh, so shit. a fatal dose of cyanide is just 1.5 milligrams. And these capsules can had about 65 milligrams in each. Oh, my Lord. So <gasps> let's oh. take a break and talk about our Lord and Saviour, potassium cyanide. <laughs> <sighs> Amen. Can I get a hell of you? So, so from murderers in Agatha Christie novels to captured spies, cyanide has always been a firm favourite. Although the cyanide pills were always deemed like a quick and painless death, um, which is why they were sort of used as um, for spies and things like that, people needing to die very quickly before um, they got tortured or whatever. Modern sh- science now shows us that this was definitely not the case. Oh, Instead, those who took them probably experienced oh. a very long and agonizing death. <gasps> oh, okay. <laughs> mm. Oh, you probably know this, Lacey. Is that what um, Eva Braun and Adolf Hitler took? Yes. Was, yeah, because they um, I read something while I was trying to find my story um, about how they wanted to be sure the pills they would take would work and not be like painful for them. So they mm-hmm. tested it on his beloved dog Blondie. And then yep. it died naturally, mm-hmm. and then he was distraught, like mm. he didn't know yeah. that would happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, I was just really interested in that. No, that's fine. Um, and then, so they took the pills, and they also were shot as well. Yes, but they wanted to make sure. Because Hitler, um, after what happened to Mussolini, so Mussolini died, and they basically took Mussolini's body and really and publicly paraded it through the streets and fucking did horrible shit to it like really desecrating the corpse like hardcore and that's why he asked to be burned so that his body couldn't be um used in the way Mussolini's was oh spoil sport i know he wouldn't let the russians have any fun you're dead (laughs) anyway don't do that let us do what we want with you So let me just tell you how cyanide works. Yes. But I'll make it interesting. Yes. So cyanide works by blocking the cell's ability to produce uh, adenosine triosphate. So we'll call it ATP because fuck that. I'm not saying that again. (laughs) Which is a source of energy used by your body Mm -hmm. to perform natural functions. Okay. So when the person ingests uh, cyanide, the body's cells stop producing this energy which means the muscles can't get the energy they need to do the things they always did, like contract and relax. Mm-hmm. So when you think of muscles, it's not just you know, biceps, triceps. Your heart is pure muscle. Your lungs, uh, your lungs diaphragm is pure muscle. So when they can't function, you cannot breathe. Oh, so you suffocate. Oh. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Oh. A cardiac arrest will ensue, but of course that takes time as well. <gasps> So the time it takes for cyanide to kill a person ranges from about two to five minutes in which they are fully conscious, experiencing every bit of the effects. So it doesn't like, it's not, you know, in the spy movie when they crack the tooth and they like go, no, no, takes so long. I mean, you can't say anything, but (laughs) you can't say anything, but, um, two to five minutes of dying. Fuck. Suffocating to death fully. Too many minutes of dying. Yep. Me. Yep. No. Yep. Too many minutes of dying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're crossing cyanide off my ways to go. Yeah. Yeah. Also, um, I thought I would like (laughs) I came across this blog by this amazing um chemist, she's also a writer. Um, and she watched Skyfall, the new James Bond movie. Oh yes. And do you remember when Javier Beldem's character 
his face was eaten away with cyanide because of a botched suicide pill. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. yeah. That's, like, that's like his backstory. That's like his backstory. That's why he's so fucked up and that's why he's like, I'm a kill, everyone. It's been out for years. I'm not apologizing. For <laughs> um, that can't happen. Okay. Cyanide isn't doesn't it's not like acidic in that way where it's gonna eat away part of your jaw. That's really bad. Um So that's just like, writing. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's shit. Really lazy. It's, it's really shit considering how much uh, money they poured into that film. Um probably should have done like, you know, a Google. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit more research. Mm. Talk to your you know, your sources. Mm. Cool. So <laughs> Um, thank you for listening to my TED talk. Back to the story. <laughs> so over the next few days, three more deaths will occur. Um, 35-year-old Mary McFarlane dropped dead at her workplace. Oh. Uh, 31-year-old flight attendant Paula Prince was found a few days after her death at her home oh. where she had fallen beside her dressing table, her face half smeared with cold cream or moisturiser. Oh. And then 27-year-old Mary Weiner, who had just given birth to her fourth child and took the Tylenol for the aches because she'd just given birth. God, that's awful. Yeah. So all of them turned out, took Tylenol before they died. (sighs) What a spooky thing because it's just such a thing. It's such a common over-the-counter thing. Oh, God. Like Paula Prince, she was a flight attendant. Also, she was gorgeous. Mm. Super, super gorgeous. Like Farrah Fawcett, gorgeous. Yeah, she's doing getting her cold about. creams on, dropping <laughs> skincare routine. Yeah, so you know she just popped it and just started doing her skincare routine, and then she went. It's really sad. Oh. I think that's how I want to go mid skincare. No, mid I want to be. I want to be. I want to be like the skincare routine to be done. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of steps. Yes, I have nine. Serums and balms to layer. Yeah, I had yeah. to send a photo of my skincare routine to a friend of mine the other day and I started pulling out all my products and I was like, oh, this is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I need to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I need to, that one last skincare routine, then I can go. Um, <laughs> you look dewy in the afterlife. Look <laughs> dewy. dewy. I want to be a pretty corpse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Investigation continued. They found that the lace capsules came from multiple stores and they were also from different packaging plants. So they figured that it wasn't like a production line worker with a grudge, you know, uncapping the things and putting the cyanide in. Cyanide, um, excuse me, Tylenol pills back in the day used to be you could crack them in half and the casing would be fine and it'd be all the powder would be the painkiller. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. So they just emptied that out, put the cyanide in, it looks the same, it's white, and then screwed it back together and put it in the bottle. <gasps> so much effort. It is a lot of effort. It's so much effort. Very Someone's effective. very angry. Mm. Yes. So um, we don't have pills like that these days because of this. So it was somebody who went to the chemists um, and done it in the store there. Ah, and then put put the pills in the some of the bottles, and then gone or whatever. So they could have had a Tylenol bottle at home, and then just put some extra pills in these people's mm. things. So it was totally random. So the big um, 
healthcare giant, healthcare manufacturing giant, Johnson & Johnson, as we all know from our baby products these days, mm-hmm. owned Tylenol. Their baby oil is very good for shaving. Oh, my God. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Fucks up your razor, but if you need, if you're going to like a wedding and it's like a special occasion, apparently I need to keep my razors. That <laughs> pink tax, mate. Yeah, that pink tax. I use a man's razor. Yeah, me too. I want to start trying the shave club. Oh my god, yes. The <laughs> old timey have... razors, very nice. Yeah, they look yeah. cool, but I'm also very scared of them. Yeah, a hundred percent. Nothing. Um. Actually, one of my friends, he uses a straight razor. <gasps> Sweeney fucking Todd. He gets the closest shave ever. I like Star um, He also uh, is a death care professional and writes with a fountain pen and he copied his handwriting to make it look like Captain Cook's. Oh. He has the most beautiful handwriting and he's like the best person ever. That's lovely. Anyway. Um, okay, so Johnson & Johnson – immediately cut all production and advertisements of Tylenol instead using their adverts to advertise to the public not to take their products and offered to replace all purchase capsules. So a massive recall for the 31 million bottles of Tylenol in circulation was underway and it cost the company millions. So at the time in 82, Johnson, uh, just the Tylenol brand was... 35% 35% of the painkiller market. <gasps> Big Holy chunk. Shit. Big chunk. That's huge. Um, and, yeah, so it was fucking, it was fucking them up. But Johnson Johnson did the right thing. They were just wanting to ensure that everybody was safe. Aww. So they broadcast warnings on all news channels and radios. Police even drove around Chicago neighborhoods with loudspeakers warning the public not to consume any Tylenol. Um, so my mum was in Canada in 82. Oh. And when this happened, because she was living there, she goes, everybody threw out all of their over-the-counter medications. It doesn't matter if it was a painkiller. It had to go. Maybe if you brought it, like, maybe two years before, it has a date on it. So, In which case it doesn't work anyway, so. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so nobody had, nobody was allowed to have any headaches because it could mean death. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and one of her friends used to take Tylenol um, almost every day. She had quite like a headache problem. Mm-hmm. Oh. And she, I think she said that um, the lady had to go to the doctor and get a prescription, so like behind the counter oh. for that. Mm-hmm. But she goes, it was just, she goes, it was just terrifying. And it, like the whole way of life changed sort of from that point. So uh, Johnson & Johnson made various efforts to ensure their products were safe. Um, to help the products then damaged reputation. Um, the company created new tamper-proof packaging for both the containers and the pills themselves. So, like, you can't crack them open anymore. There was just, like, that whole thing. Mm, double tap. Double tap. So Johnson's Johnson's, because of these efforts, their reputation scored, Tylenol sales skyrocketed because then they were the only painkiller on the market doing these precautions. Mm. So they went back from their products killing people to being number one over-the-counter pain reliever company once again. So when we learn PR and marketing (laughs) at school, they use this story because of how well Johnson & Johnson handled this whole situation. They really did do such a good job. And it's like they did such a good job. It's really depressing to be like, 
oh yeah, this company like is amazing because it put their customers and their lives before their product and their yes. money. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it's capitalism. So that's how it works, I guess. But it's, yeah, lovely to hear that. Yeah, yeah. no, it was really, really good. Anyway, so Johnson & Johnson are the best. Anyway, back <laughs> to um, the suspects. <gasps> Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Now, there were a few. There was an FBI profiler who um, called John Douglas, who at the time profiled the Tylenol killer. Um, and they did try and look for these exact things, you know, of obviously with a grain of salt. But it's kind of interesting to see how he profiled him. I'll just read out a couple of points. Um, he would be a white male in his late 20s to early 30s, uh, depressed, a loner, driven by rage, Feelings of despair, like me, but I'm not a white male. <laughs> <laughs> I am That's white. The <laughs> yeah. um, he feels inadequate, uh, impotent, um, convinced that society is always like it's society's fault that he is this way. Um, he would uh, have trouble making relationships with women his own age work. Um, and what else was there? Also... <laughs> He definitely com- committed this crime as a result of a stressor. Something happened mid-September of 1982 and that made him do this. Ooh. And it wasn't like because they invest- the police investigated so much. None of the victims had anything in common. They didn't know people in common. They were randoms. There was nothing linking these to- these victims to each other. Okay. So it was kind of like the attack was on society rather than on that person themselves, that individual person that made you, like, pissed off. Mm -hmm. Um, Rather than just killing them and being done with it, no, he had to do that. And it kind of gave him a sense of control because he knew not to take whatever and he knew where they were, like where the victims were. Also, in the recall of... um, all the Tylenol from the stores, there was three bottles that were unsold that contained cyanide. <gasps> oh so they could God. have been more victims if they hadn't have recalled. Fuck. Oh, what a good catch. I'm really I wonder if were... anyone else had bought any and then not taken them and threw them out. I don't know. So I think they, they tested like every bottle. Yeah. So this makes me think of the um, anti-nausea pregnancy pills. That caused all those birth defects. What? Yeah, um, with the hands. Yes. yes. Oh my god. Um, we had a we had a teacher who had that ceramide. Oh wait, no, like yeah, that. that's right because um, wasn't ceramide, dude? No, that's ceramide. What... Oh, ceramide. Oh, yeah, okay. I was like ceramide. We put on our face. Yes, on face. <laughs> no, my um, my nanny took something like that. Yes. Uh, yeah. When she was pregnant with my dad, weirdly enough. Mm. Does your dad have hands? He has hands. We all have hands. That's so good. Yeah. I'm glad that your family has hands. Exactly. Thalidomide. <laughs> Thalidomide. Thalidomide. You got them. That's really good. Because yeah. um, I only think that up because it was discovered to have birth defects in America and it didn't come to Australia until 1960. It wasn't – and it, the health minister knew, didn't recall it until 1961. It was on the shelves for an entire year. Oh, my God. Oh, no. And they did fuck all and that was the health minister – and this is just a company. What the fuck? That's I don't know. so depressing. We we had a substitute teacher at my high school that had um, the birth defect from that. Mm. 
And so his hand sort of ended at his elbow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and he could still write and everything like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, he just didn't have forearms. Forearms. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just it's still, a horrible thing. Could still drive a car. Yeah. Probably. I can't drive a car. I have forearms. So well done. It's far ahead, <laughs> all three of us. Yeah. Good yeah. job. <laughs> the guy who doesn't have hands can drive a car, and I can't. Yeah, that's very cool. Anyway. Um, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, profiling. So he would have also like been like the type of arsehole to keep a scrapbook or a, or a diary mm. detailing his activities. Ugh. He would talk to people um, directly involved with the case, like drugstore clerks about the poisonings, revisit stores, um, maybe even try like inject himself into the investigation by volunteering. Oh my god! So maybe he was it's one of those scary. people you know, on the street handing out flyers not to take Tylenol. Like, it could have been that person. Oh, my God. That's so spooky. Mm-hmm. Profiling is so interesting. Oh, oh so I, good. Watching I Mindhunter, if you haven't watched yeah. it, would recommend, is amazing. Edward Kemper and the actor who plays that role. Oh, chilling. 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 And incredible. Very convincing. Son of Sam as well. Mm-hmm. I love it. So good. The, the next door neighbor's Labrador told me to kill people. Yeah. Is the best, <laughs> is the best excuse for killing people ever. <laughs> um, so we have some top suspects. Ooh. These were the main ones that were investigated by police. Um, this guy, James W. Lewis, um, he was the main one, the main one that they thought was, um, the guy, mm-hmm. because he sent a letter to Johnson and Johnson demanding a million dollars to stop the killings. <gasps> As you do. But he'd also sent like previous letters threatening President Reagan concerning tax codes. And mm. um, he threatened to bomb the White House okay, if he, you know his demands weren't met. But he was just like a guy out for the money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And didn't realize that Johnson and Johnson would have just contacted the police and fucked them over. Yeah. So he um, served uh, 20 years for extortion. Good. Um, because of Fuck. this. Good. What a dickhead. Um, there was also, and the reason why he sort of was the main one was because when there, there was one chemist that had a, a CCTV camera in uh, in their thing, that was because it was at the airport where uh, the flight attendant brought her <gasps> Tylenol. Oh. And they can see a man who kind of looks like this guy, Lewis, mm-hmm. looking at her and sort of following her around the store as she brought the Tylenol. Oh. Oh, my God. So so he, she, like, he watched Paula Prince buy the thing. Oh. So because he looked so much like it, it was kind of – the police thought they kind of had their man, but really he fucked them around and maybe police were better off looking elsewhere oh. and they probably could have caught or well, you know, done something else, but they were focusing on this guy who just was out for, to get what he could. God damn it. Um, they also thought that the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, mm-hmm. thought ah. might have been because he'd sort of done like very random bombs um, in like the same – I think he did some in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But also he had, like, a huge manifesto who was like, fuck society, fuck this, um, which is sort of similar to the profile. And there's actually a section of his manifesto, which is 35,000 words, by the way, 
Fucking hell. <laughs> well, most authors that's, produce. That said, quote, imagine a society that subjects people to conditions that make them terribly unhappy and then gives them drugs to take away their unhappiness. Hmm. Unquote. Anyway, Curious. poignant. Poignant. Prick. <laughs> um, the last two are kind of, they were suspects, but the police sort of had to clear them and get moving. Um, one was Laurie Dan, who was a lady, didn't fit the profile, huh. but she had a strange behavior. She tried to poison a lot of people before. Oh, um, okay. By um, getting books from her local library on poisonings, on poisons, and then mailing people arsenic and that kind of good stuff. Books from the um, local library. Oh, that's. She was very unstable. <laughs> um, she had strange behavior, like riding up and down in elevators for hours on end. Oh. Wearing rubber gloves to touch metal, leaving meat to rot in sofa cushions. <laughs> right. Um, um, but she had a lot of mental health problems and she didn't get help uh, or wasn't helped. And in the same year, she ended up uh, holding up a elementary school and shooting a kid. Fuck. Oh, God. Wounding five other children and then she escaped the school. And then took a neighbouring family hostage because they were in like a suburban area and shot uh, the dad before killing herself. Oh, Jesus Christ. So they were they were they knew she was dangerous. Mm-hmm. I think they probably should have maybe put her in a facility or something like that. Um before she was able to do that. Um and the other guy is Roger Arnold, who lived in Chicago and was overheard like quite drunk at a bar making quite concerning comments about the poisonings. Oh. Oh. So somebody called the police and Arnold was arrested and then they worked out that Arnold briefly worked with uh, Mary, one of the victim's fathers, (gasps) and the hospital where Arnold visited his wife who was ill at the hospital is opposite the shop where she, like, brought her Tylenol. Oh. Oh. Um, But... What ended up happening is he, they didn't have enough to hold him. Mm-hmm. So he went home, mm. pissed off that somebody turned him in, went to the bar. Oh no. To <gasps> the bar owner and was like, You fucking, you've turned me into the police. Um, and shot and mm. killed the bar owner. But actually, he mistook a random pedestrian who was in the bar for the bar owner. Oh my God. And he was sentenced to 30 years in prison for a. Th- uh, secondary murder. Good. Yup. Yep. Yep. Fucking hell. He served half of that sentence though because he died. Oh, so well. Okay. Fuck, fuck yeah. So after all of this happened, um, copycat criminals started oh, doing it because although Tylenol wasn't was off the shelf, the other painkillers were mm. didn't have the safety proof thing. Yeah, because you've got to invest millions of dollars to recall all of that product. Add bill and shit. That is, that is correct. Or maybe they thought, oh, we'll sell off that product and then the new shit will have the, the stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that was why. So the FDA and the FBI were following up on nearly 270 different cases of product tampering and poisoning. Holy oh fuck. Oh, my God. That's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there was like uh, in 1986 in Seattle um, – a lady called Susan Snow and Bruce Nickel. He, they were, um, I think, common law, husband and wife. Um, no, wait, shit, I fucked up. Okay, so Seattle residents, Susan Snow and Bruce Nickel, totally unrelated. They did not know each other. Oh, okay. <laughs> no common law, nothing. They didn't know. Um, 
both died from cyanide-laced exedrin, which is, you know, part of the painkiller thing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So authorities were like, fuck me, it's happening again in Seattle. Um, and they went everywhere, tried to find all these bottles, and then it was revealed that Nichols' wife, Stella, had poisoned the bottles in a bid to collect his life insurance money. So she poisoned her husband Bloody and life. then decided to poison a random citizen to make it look like it was random. I remember hearing about this. She used, like, some aquarium shit um, to do yes, it. Yes, she did. Yeah. Yep. And mm. she was – this was on um, Forensic Files and she was caught because the mould in her aquarium matched the <gasps> mould that was on the bottles. Yes, yeah. science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, science. <laughs> Fuck yeah, science. Fuck yeah, so, science. In 2009, the 25th anniversary of the crime renewed public interest, mm-hmm. which means the police have to do something. Yeah. Um, they looked, they had new tips, went back over evidence. Uh, they did conduct another search of Lewis's home because he's sort of like, I might have done it. Who knows? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, attention. And they compared Lewis's DNA for analysis and also the Unabomber, his for analysis for the they still have the bottles yeah oh so in 1982 it was unfortunate because dna didn't come into existence until 1985 right yeah so they didn't match and there has been no leads and nobody knows who the tylenol killer is he could be walking among us today well that's terrifying (laughs) end of story sources Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to end it there. What? Wasn't that a good conclusion? No, fantastic. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> arc dipped a bit in the story there. <laughs> <laughs> Stop bitching about my writing. Okay. So sources, Ranker, Wikipedia, PBS, CrimeMuseum.org, CriminalMindsFandom.com. Amazing, by the way. So good. Uh, Chicago Reader. Uh, hunterkiller.com and Murderpedia. Thank you. Bless and thank you. They were fantastic. That was, yeah, good coverage of that story. I do like the Tylenol no. murders because they scare yeah. me. <laughs> it's so spooky and it's such like, it's just a common thing, like a tiny little headache tablet, like a paracetamol. You can get them, a packet of them for 75 cents at Coles if you want to. Fuck you if you buy actual brand Panadol. <laughs> It's the same bulk pack from Priceline. Um, It's spooky. It's like, um, I don't know if either of you were ever this morbid, uh, but um, watch people Mm. die on Reddit, uh, which is a Reddit that doesn't exist anymore, so you can't go there. But um, (laughs) Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) Reddit used to be way more fucked up than it is now, and it's pretty gross now. It's Uh, pretty fucked up. But um, when I used to have that on my feed um that would always make me really nervous about <laughs> on your you- feed well <laughs> they play in roulette person. every time okay. you read <laughs> yeah exactly um keep i like guessing. to keep myself guessing about how i'm gonna feel today because otherwise yeah. i'm always depressed <laughs> <laughs> it's a very final destination of you well oh. yeah because i like those movies quite a lot well, yeah um, and i always so would good. like get really into like what do i have to be scared of now like <laughs> what new thing am i gonna oh. be nervous about for the rest that's of this what, month that's what morbid questions is good for yes mm. because it's not always things that can happen but god someone thought of it and now it's in my head and it's spooky now i'm thinking about it and i want to say one but i don't know if i should i really want you to say it 
someone mm. I read them say so the one that fucked me up the most. Thank you for listening at home. Um, skip ahead if you want. I'm not going to probably put a timestamp in. We all have to suffer. Someone asked if you is it possible to shave off layers of teeth with a razor? Oh, and, up, and I still think about it all the time. And it's uh, makes is it me... possible? No, no. Oh. But um, like, imagine if you could. And I felt really sick, and I feel sick now. <laughs> so teeth are like the part of the hardest bone. Yeah, mm, yeah. It's the only part of the body that can't repair itself. Yeah, I like teeth. They're very cool. It's the outside of your skeleton on the outside. It's your skeleton on the outside. Yeah. It is. It's peeking out saying hello. Shout out to La for sharing her wisdom teeth photos with us yeah. as well. Oh, they, yeah, La got her all four of her wisdom teeth out and La? they weren't going to let her take her teeth. And I was like, take a stand, steal them. Yeah. Yep. Like I stole my spine bit. Yes. <laughs> I didn't intend to steal my you spine bit. So I was like, you get to keep them. I made them. <laughs> you grew those. Ladies get to keep their babies after they're cut out. Why can't I keep my spine bits? Spine <laughs> cesarean, it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> Back cesarean. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of teeth, yep. teeth are in the mouth. And where do poisons go? Probably Up ingested. Oh. <laughs> you shelve them. Oh, God. <laughs> what if you butt had teeth? Oh, <gasps> can you imagine? How- okay, no, I'm not going to go there. Well, okay. You have you to were talking. Were you talking? Were you thinking about like um, gay sex with men? And no, then no. So you have to take out of and having to like floss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to brush them. Yeah. Um, but I was no, oh, I shit. wasn't thinking about that. But now I'm thinking about that um, vagina dentata movie. Yes, <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah, 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 Funny yeah. fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, so good. One of my faves. <laughs> I tried to segue, and I just got us. More in deep in this hole. All right. Um, <clears throat> hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Story two. Okay. All right. All right. All right. We'll behave now. Yeah. I'm gonna right. set. I'm gonna set the scene. I'm ready. So we've got Alan Duvall, who is 60. Mm-hmm. Met Tammy, who is 46, mm-hmm. late in life, and from the get-go, they were absolutely smitten with each other. Um, just, just really happy honeymoon phase all the time hell yes hell yes and they loved each other so much that after just 12 weeks of dating they tied the knot in 2005 bless yeah i've done that after nine years of dating (laughs) (laughs) is this america yeah 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 yeah. okay this is america this is america i catch you sleeping now um (laughs) the wedding was beautiful um i've actually seen photos of it i will track them down i will pop them on the instagram weirdsisterspodcast.com thank you um and Alan just couldn't believe his luck he was like oh my god I've got this beautiful wife who's like 15 years younger than me woo 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 um and the pair settled in Columbus Indiana um and Tammy got a job working as a nursing assistant an aged care home and everything was great they were described as a picture perfect couple lovely yeah how do I know that it's not going to stay that way (laughs) yeah well two years later 911 receives a call this is quote hello my name is Tammy Duvall. I think my husband is dead. Thanks, Tammy. Yeah. So upon arrival to the Duvall residence, police did indeed find Alan dead. He was slumped over in a deck chair by the back door. Um, passersby would have assumed he was sleeping. Oh. There were no signs of trauma or injury anywhere on Alan's body. He just, he, I've got photos. I've got photos of him. He literally just looks like he's, Sitting up in a deck chair, arms folded in his lap, head slumped. He looks like he's asleep. Oh. 
Um, he was a healthy man in his early 60s, though he was known to be a heavy drinker. Um, his death wasn't viewed as suspicious, and it was assumed that Alan had succumbed to the summer heat um, until uh, sweet old Tammy started pushing for a cremation of Alan's remains that very same day. Oh, Tammy, if you'd just Get fucking chilled out. him in the oven. Get him <laughs> in the body oven. She need yeah. needs, needs to find some chill, probably about there. Mm-hmm. So she demanded it. Um, even though Alan had already secured a burial plot for himself where his parents were buried and all of his family knew that, that was his wishes, mm. he was like, no, 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 we need him crispy today. Yep. Um, so the police department and Detective uh, Crookton um, received calls from Alan's family only hours after his death that they were suspicious of Tammy and they were telling him stories about why they were suspicious of her look, we don't think this is right. She wants to cremate him today. We need to stop it. Please stop. This spreading has been rushed. There's an age gap. They were super cautious um, of, like, his well-being. They were supportive of Alan, but they were like, something's up here. And now this position is confirmed. Yeah. This bitch is weird. <laughs> uh, so the couple were known to be having marital issues. Oh, mm. Um, Crookton noted this down from family members the couple had in fact been separated for some time and Alan wasn't even living at the residence at the time of his death Oh, Uh, the bank was going to foreclose on their house and there was also demands for car repayments and Alan's daughter's college tuition was due so this is just a nightmare Oh God, America is a little bit broken when it comes to that stuff Mm -hmm. but uh, yes Um, so Crookton, Detective Crookton's like alright I'm on it, contacts the morgue no cremations um, I want a full autopsy of this man's remains. And what they found was a hundred times the therapeutic, therapeutic dose of morphine oh. and eight times the therapeutic dose of uh, cyclobenzaprine, which is a muscle relaxant. Fuck, she went all that. In his system, along with 0.4% blood alcohol content. Oh, my God. For those at home, the legal limit in Australia in Victoria is 0.05%. That's insane. 0.4. What did she do? Open up his mouth and just pour it in. Well, was it suicide? Was it foul play? What did she do? There were no track marks on Alan's body. There was no evidence of pill bottles on the property. Where did the drugs come from? Where did they go? Where did they come from? Cotton Eye Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Even Tammy's own family was suspicious of her. Tammy's daughter sent an email to the Columbus Police Department, which I have here for us to read. Yes. Oh, my God, you have to be so slimy for your own kid to be like, hey, okay, so yeah. I think my mom did it. <laughs> so the subject says anonymous. Hello, I would like to remain anonymous about a death that I perceive to be very suspicious. She obviously did not remain anonymous. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> the death she did not. <laughs> Alan DeVall on Saturday morning at 4.45 a.m. at Laycrest Drive. His wife has told several people that before this death, Alan was not living at that address. My question is, why did he die there if he wasn't living there? <gasps> Alan was loyal to Tammy. However, the reverse was not so. <gasps> I also know that Tammy Duvall is working for Columbus Regional Hospital as a nurse with no prior nursing school education. <gasps> she has knowledge of certain medications and what to mix them with and how to use needles. He was healthy with no known illnesses. How did he die? Another suspicious thing is his cremation. Why would he be cremated when he was a burial plot next to his parents? Being a citizen in this country and knowing these things and with prior knowledge of Tammy's background, I am a little alarmed by her second husband's abrupt passing. Thank you for your time, Anonymous. Fucking good email, Tammy Jr. Right? 
nice. To be honest, uh, <laughs> I feel like the police should have already been on that very hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like she just explained to them their job. Yeah. <laughs> she just... That's like like I've listened to true crime podcasts. I know how to solve a crime. I've seen <laughs> I've seen Hawaii Five O. Um, I have watched so yeah. much Criminal Minds. <laughs> I've seen Mind Hunters. Um, yeah, so she's been thrown under the bus by her own daughter. Um, her first husband, Don Engelman, in interviews described Tammy as beguiling and shrewd. Ooh, mm. I would like beguiling. to be described that way. Beguiling. Um, beguiling. Beguiling. It's a pretty good word. Rolls off the tongue pretty well. Mm. Um, he told detectives that he knew the couple were having financial problems, which led to the couple separating. He also knew that Tammy was seeing someone else at the time of Alan's death. <gasps> An insurance Mark. salesman named Gary Ruddle. Oh. <laughs> there it is. Gary, good old Gary. Good old Gary. Gary. You're going to go mm-hmm. to jail. Mm-hmm. So Tammy is called into the police station for an interview. She happily agrees to. But Crookton has the receipts. He does not come to play. You swing at the king, you come correct. Yes. When asked how the discovery of Alan's body took place, Tammy said that she called the police straight away. Phone Mm. records determined that was a lie. (laughs) So Tammy made several phone calls between Alan's estimated time of death, which is about 4.45 in the morning, and contact with 911. Of course they're going to check the phone records. Yes. So one of those calls to a friend of Tammy's named Rhonda Brown, who she had visited a month prior to Alan's death. And according to that friend, uh, Sweet Rhonda Brown, Tammy brought an unmarked bottle of pills to her house and asked, how many of these do you think would take to kill someone? Uh To which which Rhonda replied, why are you going to kill someone? (laughs) Yes, Rhonda, she is going to kill someone. (laughs) All right. So during questioning as well, Tammy was casually discussing what she'd made for dinner that night. Chicken salad, fresh cut fruit and a custard pudding dessert oh police were suddenly very interested in this dessert could tammy have poisoned alan with the pudding mm. well tammy had taken out a life insurance policy on alan only a month before his death she convinced him it was a mortgage insurance policy and named herself sole beneficiary um, which is really sad about this all is Alan had expected to move back in with Tammy once this had all settled. He wanted oh. to fix things. He was like, all right, if this is what I have to do to um, make it better, I'm going to do it. Mm. Yeah. So uh, Gary, uh, Tammy's little piece of ass on the side, well, <laughs> even he said, yes. even because he wrote up this life insurance policy for her. It's handwritten. Um, named her a sole benefit. He did all of this. And even he said to her, do not collect the money straight away. Alan has died during the grace period. You will look suspicious. And the bitch did it anyway. (laughs) There's that motive. So there's the motive. It's all falling into place. Where did she get the drugs? Where did she put the drugs? How did she get the drugs in him? So Tammy is the nursing assistant. She's working at the hospital. On her last day of work, a bottle of morphine sulfate went missing in the storerooms. Um, her employer had suspected her of stealing. So tick off the morphine. We found it. This bitch tried to blame it on one of the visitors of a patient and the, her boss is like, no, 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 no. It wasn't her. She we doesn't have know. access to this shit. Come on, <laughs> you do. Tammy. Um, so got the morphine. What about the muscle relaxers? Well, Tammy stole those from Alan's cousin Zila 
who'd invited the couple to her house for a party a short time before the murder. Oh. Zilla's prescription of Flexoril, which is the muscle relaxers, had gone missing from her home during the party. So Tammy's pinched this woman's medication, the entire bottle. Then she's gone to her friend and been like, hey, do you think this shit could just kill someone? Do you ever just want to go ape shit? <laughs> and fucking Rhonda's like, no, why? What's wrong but she didn't say Tammy? anything. Oh, yeah. you should have said something. I like know. That. But she couldn't have known. No, no. she couldn't really. You, you naturally we assume shit people, all the time. Yeah, exactly. You naturally assume that people aren't murderers. No. You, you assume the good in people. Hmm. I don't. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Um, so all of this seems so far-fetched. Why would someone poison a pudding? Well, this isn't the first time Tammy has tried the dessert method. <gasps> so in 2004, this is before um, Alan, because mm-hmm. remember, they only like, married after 12 weeks of dating. So yep. this is a year prior. Um, Tammy had brought a pudding to her then-boyfriend's house, Stephen Brown, for Thanksgiving. She insisted that he eat it as her daughter had made it, and she was just so proud of how like, it was so good. My daughter put all this effort in. You have to eat the pudding. Oh, my God, it's just so good. <laughs> um, so Brown testified this all against Tammy in court. And in his testimony, he claimed that after a few bites, the pudding, quote, tasted of dissolving aspirin. Ugh. And he felt super out of it for like hours afterwards. So he had a couple of bites. He's like, I'm fucking out. This tastes like fucking shit. Yeah. Um, so during dinner, um, so we've had our main starters, main and dessert. Tammy produces a life insurance policy for Brown to sign. <laughs> so, the, so she said would make him sole beneficiary and she needed his signature and his social security number. And Brown was like, no, 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 no. You've given me some fucking, your daughter's cooked me some fucking rank pudding. I'm going to go lay down. And so Tammy left. She scooped up her, she took the leftovers and she went home. And you know what, ladies? The proof was in that pudding. (laughs) (laughs) Tammy was charged three years after Alan's death. Six counts of insurance fraud, three counts of obstruction of justice, and one count of murder. She is currently serving a prison sentence of 60 years. Good. Good. And that is the story of Tammy Duvall and her poison pudding. Yay! Yay! Also, now we know why her daughter fucking hated her. Yes! yes. Try and blame me and my fucking yeah. amazing yeah. pudding skills yes. on your weird murdery habits. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous. Love it. Yeah. So I've got some sources. So I've got, so there's a YouTube channel called Crime Watch, which does a really cool like breakdown of all of this. And there are interviews with, um, like Alan's sister Zilla and um, Rhonda and uh, one of Tammy's exes is in there and it's great. It's got photos. It's got photos of Alan. Um, they're not like super gory death photos. Like it's just literally, like I said, it looks like him sleeping there. There are death photos there though. But yeah, I know. I, I looked them up <coughs> while we were talking. Yeah. He's very handsome. He, yeah. Yeah. He's a very sweet man. He just seemed. And what's really sad as well. Is the reason he had come over to the house while he was not living there, he wanted to help her fix the air conditioning. Oh, Tammy, and then he, you had a very yeah. nice man. Why? And he Why was just you? like, oh, it's like super hot still because I can get it fixed. So he like went outside to like, quote unquote, like sit and he obviously just died. Oh. Um, it's really sad. She took advantage of his like crutch as well. Like he had an alcohol problem and she took advantage of that. Because she claimed to someone that he'd been drinking margaritas with her. She claimed to another person that he'd just had a beer with her. 
then someone else said that he she'd made him Long Island iced tea. So she like lied, like a considerable amount of times about what he drank that night. So no one had a straight story with what booze she'd given him. But a lot mm. apparently. Tammy, you made yourself so obvious. Like, oh my I god, know. you could have gotten away with this. That was ridiculous. I also found um, just the the state versus Duvall, like the entire breakdown of the. Uh, or the evidence, like the proper document. So I read all of that and got a bunch of like little details because I didn't know she tried to poison her boyfriend before Alan. And then I found that and I was like, fucking yes. <laughs> so I my two, I've only used two sources here. Um, I did some like adjacent reading, but they're my two main where I've pulled from. And then, and yeah. That was wonderful. Was Very cool. Yeah. I didn't really want like a carton of custard. Because oh. that's like what the pudding was. It was like a custard trifle kind of thing. Oh, I fucking yeah. love that shitty cheap custard from a carton. Me too. I'll drink it straight from it. I'm animal. Give it to me. <laughs> to me. Yeah, no, I love that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Very delicious. I love it when they bring out like the flavoured ones at Christmas and stuff, the brandy yes. flavour and shit. Yes, yes, please. Nom, 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 oh. nom, nom. Um, well, I guess that left one. Yay. Me. Yay. Me. Um. Have either of you ever heard of this? It's the Moscow Theatre Terror Attack. Not a, not, no. a, not a clue, not a word. Please. I love when I find something that neither of you know about. I, just, I know, it's so good. It's my goal. Um, no, brilliant. Okay, fantastic. Because this is a bit of a windy one. Ooh. It will be interesting to see if you can pick how the poison's going to come into it. <gasps> Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so scene setting. 2002, so not too long ago. More, longer ago than I want it to be. Um, 23rd of October. So poignant time of year. Mm-hmm. So during a sold-out performance of a play called Nordost at the Dubrovka Theatre in Moscow, Russia, 40 to 50 Chechen men and women armed with firearms and explosive devices stormed the theatre and took the audience hostage, including staff and performance artists captive. Oh. So there were 979 hostages. Many of them were children. So the attackers are led by a 23-year-old man called Movsa Barayev. He's a Chechen Islamist military leader, and his uncle was a Chechen uh, rebel military commander called Arbi. Um, He's also described in Wiki as a warlord and organized crime figure, so two sides. Good guy. Um, But this is the thing. There's a lot here about what's going on. It's very confusing. This story has a lot of things that are like supposedly – Maybe. And it was really interesting to find that sort of stuff in such a recent case because usually it's like, so this definitely happened. We have CCTV footage. We have this, we have that. Um, And I watched a documentary and we do have a lot of that stuff, but like this is Russia (laughs) and a lot of this, unfortunately uh, has been covered under so many layers of red tape and bureaucracy and like redacted. Um, It's just wild. This story is wild. So, yeah, right. So uh, basically, Movsa Brave's um, uncle had been killed the year before uh, during a war that was happening at the time. It's called the Second Chechen War, um, and this is between Russia and Chechnya. Um, Chechnya, excuse me. So, uh, yeah, Movsa is 23. His uncle who had died was 27. So just to understand how young these people are that we're working oh, wow. with, like they're all younger than us. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, basically the Russian secret police um, had actually claimed to have killed Movsar like 
10 days earlier, so it was super awkward when he showed up at the Dubrovka Theatre. <laughs> um, but the other uh, leader, apparently, of this um, terror attack was called Ab- uh, Abu Bakar. Um, I say supposedly because we do not know. We don't know who this man really was. Uh, we don't really know if he was even there. So, a mystery. A mystery. There's a lot of this. So these attackers claimed allegiance to the Islamist separative movement uh, in Chechnya, and they demanded the withdrawal of Russian troops from Chechnya to end the Second Chechen War. So basically, in 1994, Russian troops had invaded Chechnya in an attempt to reassert control over part of the country, um, and they had declared the Chechnya declared their independence in 1991. So like 10 years before. But ever since, it had been, like, totally fucked up uh, by war. Um, The Chechen rebels were constantly engaged in guerrilla warfare. So there was, like, multiple conflicts. Heaps of people were dying. Lots and lots of civilians. It was just awful. So, basically, this theatre was selected, from what we can tell, because it was about four kilometres away from the Moscow Kremlin, which is, like, a citadel fortified complex containing, like, a bunch of churches, um, palaces, and things like that. And the word Kremlin, it's kind of like the White House is an easy way to, like, understand. So, like, you say Kremlin, you mean the figure of power, like the group that controls it as well. So, like, you say White House when you're talking about the president and, like, his people that make decisions. So that's why they mm. think it was chosen, because it was really close to this important location, the decision makers, etc. Nev where Vladimir Putin would have been. So the attack began at 9pm. Uh, it happened during the play's second act when the attackers basically just entered the theatre from the stage in plain clothes. Um, in the lobby, they had changed into military fatigues and covered their faces, and then the commandos stormed the stage, firing assault rifles and shouting slogans. Um, a lot of the audience actually thought that this was totally different, uh, like they thought it was just part of the play. <laughs> They were like, oh, yeah. okay, because it was a play that's set in World War Two and had quite a lot of special effects. It's like, oh, the budget on this one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, they were like, oh, okay. That's what um, that's what the people thought when they went in to see The Dark Knight and that guy started shooting up the theatre. Oh, God, mm-hmm. really? They thought it yeah. was part of the show, yeah. Fuck, I've never heard that before. Mm. That's messed up. Anyway. Yeah. Let's talk about your wanker. Yeah. Need <laughs> so. any airtime. <laughs> The actors are forced off the stage uh, and down into the crowd, and that's when people begin to realise that, oh, shit, this is not part of the play. Um, So the audience, like there's a 1,000 people in the audience and cast, um, their reactions are really varied. Uh, So some of them just super calm, some of them fainted, some people just went hysterical and screamed, you know, normal sort of reactions you would expect to suddenly having guns pointed at you. Yep. Yep. In that initial panic, around 90 people managed to get the fuck out and escape. Um, oh, so there was actually more than a 1,000 people that initially would have been taken hostage and managed to get out. Um, oh. Most of them were performers who had been backstage waiting for their cues, uh, and they escaped the building, called the police. Basically, police showed up super quickly. Mm. So as soon as the hostages were subdued, um, the attackers set up explosives, booby traps, um, and secured the building like very, very well. Um, there was around about 30 different explosive devices in the theater. The largest was around about 110 pounds of TNT or 50 kilos. <gasps> and that's one of them. So there's a lot. Yeah. Um, a significant number of the group were actually female uh, terror attackers. So they wore suicide belts. So there was a lot going on. It was terrifying. Um, mm. Barayev 
identified the attacks as a suicide squad from the 29th Division. I have no idea what that is. I tried really hard to find what that meant. Um, But that's what he basically said he was. Uh, And they had no issues with foreigners and they promised to release anyone in the theatre that had a foreign passport. And to their credit, they actually did that with a lot of people. So they, That's nice. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. They're like, no, 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 this is a problem with Russia. If you're not Russian, (laughs) fuck off. We don't want you. (laughs) Um, So they gave their demand. Excuse me, my voice just went real. (laughs) Ooh. Um, so they gave their demands in a pre-recorded video that they sent to the media. They actually mailed it to Al Jazeera. Um, oh. Yeah, mm. exactly. Uh, so all Russian forces, they demanded, were to withdraw from Chechnya within the week or they would start killing 10 hostages for every hour that it didn't happen. Oh. Yeah. So they also demanded termination of artillery and air force uh, within Russia, uh, sorry, within Chechnya. Um, as of the following day. They also wanted an end to this thing called the mopping up operations. That's a loose English translation. Um, that were being used by Russian troops, which is basically where armed patrols went from house to house and just fuck shit up looking for rebels and basically whatever they thought. Yeah, okay chocolate, whatever they wanted at the time. Pretty much, yep. exactly. Um, and they also finally wanted the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, to publicly declare that he was actively trying to stop the war in Chechnya. So there's a big statement that he made. Um, I have all of it, but I thought it would probably be most interesting just to sort of pick and choose a couple of phrases from there just to get an idea of what they were after and how intense they felt about this. Oh, yes. Mm. So every nation has the right to their fate. Russia has taken away from the Chechens, and today we want to reclaim these rights, which Allah has given us, the same way that he has given it to other nations. Allah gave us the right of freedom and the right to choose our destiny, and the Russian occupiers have flooded our land with our children's blood, and we have longed for a just solution. People are unaware of the innocent that are dying in Chechnya, the sheikhs, the women, the children, and the weak ones, and therefore we have chosen this approach. This approach is for the freedom of Chechen people and there is no difference to us in where we die. Therefore, we have decided to die here in Moscow and we will take with us the lives of a hundred sinners. If we die, others will come and follow us, our brothers and sisters who are willing to sacrifice their lives in others' way to liberate the nation. Our nationalists have died, but people have said that they are, the nationalists, are terrorists and criminals, but the truth is Russia is the true criminal. Oof. Oof. Yeah. So they're mad. Yeah. Evocative. Very. Um, So this was like a really big thing uh, because it wasn't the first time this had happened in a really short period of time. Mm. So basically like this had happened a heap of times and Russia was looking really fucking bad because the Chechens were getting away with it. Like they were doing a good job. Um, Their guerrilla warfare tactics were pretty decent especially considering like something this was something that i had thought about russia from like the very very shit history that i knew of it was like russia has so many people that it just kind of overwhelms um their like army is usually huge uh because there's so many people living there and frequently they would win a lot of wars back in the day just by sheer numbers just flooding people out um this wasn't working with the chechens uh they were having a big fucking time trying to deal with the problem so basically um, they said no. <laughs> the Russian Federation was like, nah. <laughs> they tried to basically be like, no, it's too hard. It's not possible to do those things. Like what else do you want? Like we'll do something else. Or pretty much they sort of like started to turn around and be like, oh, maybe we can do something else. And then they went like, no, 
but if you let the hostages go, maybe we'll let you live. Um, so it's important to point out that there are some fucking wildly different accounts of what actually went down throughout all of this um, at multiple points. It's very, very interesting to hear different points. One of my sources is a documentary that was uh, created under Russia's OK and paid for by Russia. The other one was not. (laughs) Okay. So basically uh, they stated that if a rescue rescue mission was attempted, um, the terrorists would detonate the explosives and blow up the whole building. So don't try and come in. Mm -mm. Um, Like I said before, the demand and taking of hostages was not new within this conflict. It happens all the time. Um, Chechen rebels had done it so many times that they had humiliated Russia's uh, army and their leadership um, and even their special services by, like, just managing to get what they want or at least kill so many hostages that, like, people were like, man, you really fucked up, Russia. You did not do a good job of (laughs) getting those people out safely. Uh, What's going on? So shortly after the initial um, attack uh, and when the media had been given this, like, manifesto, basically, um, 200 hostages were released. Uh, They were children, pregnant women, Muslims, and people that had proven themselves to be foreigners. Um, Parents actually wrote phone numbers on their kids' clothing so that when they were sent outside, like, some other eldest child could at least try and call relatives or they hoped that someone would be out there because they had no fucking idea what was going on. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the rest, like all the hostages that had been retained were left in the main theatre. Um, the orchestra pit was used as a toilet because they weren't allowed to leave the room. Ay-yah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, a lot of those people have shat in or- as orchestra pit. So it's <laughs> fine. Well, it's sounded fucking disgusting. Apparently it was like a wash with piss. A wash with piss. What a... What a phrase. People were not drinking, so they could avoid going anywhere near there because the people... I was like, did they drink the piss? No. 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 Well, um, the people in the front row were sweating from the stench. This is actually, like, a cold fucking time. Um, (gasps) But they were visibly, like, covered in sweat because the smell was that bad. Um, There have been girls who'd worn, like, ballet flats and uh, they borrowed other people's shoes and, like, you had to roll up your pants to stop them from getting soaked through with piss. Like, it was disgusting my lord yup so when i say a wash with piss i mean literally like a bathtub of piss a deluge (laughs) of piss yeah so uh as you can tell people were not very fucking happy and the mood was pretty volatile Mm -hmm. yeah um the attacker's mood was extremely so like it changed depending on how they media was reporting on them because they were obviously like keeping on top of things um, and they actually had someone filming them on the inside, not a media representative, but one of their own. Um, so mm-hmm. some of the documentaries that you can watch is being filmed and uh, being narrated by someone who was filming at the time and was part of the terror attack. <gasps> oh. Yeah, very, very interesting. It's, so it's such a weird thing to watch because at some points they're laughing and joking because they're really excited, and then at other points they are terrifying. Oh, gosh. And they're all young, mid-20s sort of mm. thing, um, early 20s. So, you know, like they're still young people who are, you know, excited and friendly and know each other and make jokes and then also very, very fucked up. So, yeah, not a great idea, not a great time. 
the hostages do get to keep their mobile phones. They are allowed to make calls. They are not allowed to get out of their seats. So they are basically passing on a lot of what the hostage shakers are saying because they want to live. So they are calling the media. They're trying to be like, please don't storm the building. Don't storm the building. Do not storm the building. Um, After the initial attack, the whole of the theatre was surrounded by police, soldiers, armoured vehicles, everything that Russia had in the immediate vicinity. But the design of the theatre prevented any rescue efforts, even if they sort of wanted to initially. Um, the only entrances were about 30 metres or 100 feet of corridor that they would have to fight down. Um, extremely narrow and, you know, a terrible choke point if you're trying to get anywhere. Yeah. And then after that, there was a staircase they would have to fight up in a similar fashion. So just terrible. They also said, the attackers this is, that for every one of their own that was killed by the Russian troops outside, they would kill 10 hostages. Fuck. So any attempt they made as a nation, which already looked fucking terrible because they have not been able to get hostages rescued previously, um, just looking worse and worse for the Russian special forces. Two women did initially manage to escape on that first day um, after the initial 90 ran away. Um, One of them did get severely injured in the process, but they just somehow managed to get away. (laughs) There's just footage of these two women running out and you're like, how the fuck? Okay, cool. Great. (laughs) Um, all right, so this is the first day. We're getting to the end of the first day. First day? Yes. At 1.30 a.m. of the second day, a civilian woman called Olga Romanev manages to sneak past the police and military units. I don't know fucking how, but she does. There's video footage of it. <laughs> um, and she enters the theatre. So she's a shop assistant who lived in the area. Um, Upon gaining entry, she began to shout for the hostages to run and leave and that their captors wouldn't stop them. She pleaded for the Chechens to cease their attack and release the hostages. The audience, like the whole, everyone there, I don't know why audience is the word that I've used there. It's not what they are. Some of them are casting crew. (laughs) Well, they they were an audience at one point. They are an Uh, audience to this horrible situation. Yeah. 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 So they begged for the Chechens not to kill her. They said, she's drunk, let her go. She's an idiot. Just don't worry about her. Mm -hmm. Um, The captors pushed her outside the auditorium door and shot and killed her. (sighs) Basically how you would expect that to go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now we're on day two. The Russian government offers the hostage taker the opportunity to leave for any other country than Russia or Chechnya if they released all hostages unharmed. Um, so basically they're like, we'll let you go if you let all these people go, but you can't go home and you can't stay here. So via phone, hostages plead with Putin to cease hostilities with Chechnya um, for armed forces not to enter the theatre. Uh, and then the hostage takers weirdly demand to speak with this man called Joseph Kobozon. Kobzon? Kobzon, I think, is the proper pronunciation. Um, so he's a parliamentary member, but he's also like a really famous singer. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this dude, okay. this dude's great though, okay? So like he looks like a plastic mask of Elvis, but aged up. Okay. Okay. But he is yep. a lovely man because um it looks like he basically went and just anytime there's like a disaster or a military hotspot, he is the very first celebrity to be there and perform. He went to Chernobyl to cheer the rescuers and did that before anyone else did. And that was apparently something that like a lot of people followed and did with him to sort of cheer up these Aww. people in this horrible situation, which was very mm. dangerous. Um, yeah, he must have cancer now. Well, no, he's fine. <laughs> 
because um, he was in one of the documentaries. Uh, but yeah, he did this sort of thing a lot. Um, and like so much that this incident barely ranks on his wiki page. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Wow. Like he is a very, very good person by the looks of things. Or he's very secretive Thank- about being a bad person and <laughs> goes over the top to make himself look good. Thank you, Leathery Elvis. Thank you, Leathery yes, Elvis. Yes, Leather Elvis. <laughs> Um, so Joseph went and entered the building with three others. I couldn't find out who they were, but I assumed that they were like managers or friends or something. Um, and he, he went at one twenty PM. Um, a few minutes later, an elderly man exited the building looking feeble and distraught. Apparently he was a British citizen. Um, shortly after a woman and three children also exited. And then a bunch of public and political figures entered into negotiations with the tackers basically because Joseph Cobbs on had shown them that they should fucking do something about this. Um, So a bunch of uh, like the hostage takers demanded international red cross and doctors without borders representative come to the theater and negotiate with them as well. Um, A Russian service colonel tried to enter. uh, That word always trips me up because it looks wrong. Um, (laughs) English language is broken. It It totally is. Um, He tried to enter, but he was shot at and he retreated. Yeah. Um, yeah. So over the course of the day, pretty much as far as I can tell, purely thanks to Cobson, uh, 39 different hostages were set free um, and he left the building unhurt with some of the children who had been taken hostage. He held their hands and walked the fuck out of there. Um, a hot water pipe also burst that night oh, no. and began flooding the ground floor. Um, oh. The hostage shakers thought that it had been the fault of the Russian police uh, and they wanted the pipe repaired, but they couldn't reach an agreement with the surrounding militia. A militia? I can't say that word either. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it was later found out that the Russian special forces were using the sewer system to listen into the situation on the inside of the building. <gasps> so like, Ooh. yeah, a lot's going on here. So now we reach the third day with piss just reeking up that theater. Oh God. That's bad. It's really bad. Um, it was, like some of the things that uh the like the hostages that survived said um in the interviews they were like there were people that just gave up there were people that had been so because you couldn't sleep because you had to sit in these theater chairs can you imagine sitting in a chair for any length of time like for two days no please yep the only time you can get up is to go down towards the reeking pit of piss and you know try and not realize that your ankles are swimming in piss yeah um and it's just awful they don't really have like proper food or anything there's a couple of times where doctors without borders and uh some other companies managed to bring in hot food for them but like the hostages were saying that some people just sort of slumped and gave up and just didn't care anymore and a lot of those people did not make it so more public and political figures are approached to take part of the negotiations um in person and over the phone um the hostage shakers demand a representative of Putin appear and enter negotiations. Uh, there's an anti-war hosti- uh, protest that's held outside the theatre by relatives of the hostages and also in central Moscow. Um, and then an agreement is reached to release 75 foreign citizens and 15 Russian citizens, uh, eight of whom are children, and they do get to leave the theatre. So there's still fucking a couple hundred people in here. Like, they keep mm. saying that all these people are leaving, but there's heaps and heaps of people still inside. So, again, they reinvigorate this idea that you can leave and we won't kill you if you just let everyone go. Um, Medicine, food, hot water, warm clothes are brought to the hostages because it is snowing and it's fucking cold. Um, And, yeah, people start getting 
miserable. No one's getting beaten. Um, everyone that actually goes inside is like, they're not doing anything to them. They're just having to sit there and that's bad enough. Yeah. So pretty much around nightfall, somehow another man manages to evade the soldiers and run into the building. Fucking hell. <laughs> it's really weird watching this happen because the whole thing's being filmed by media, which surprised mm. me. Um, so you can see all of this. There's a documentary that I will put at the end, but I will warn anyone that wants to look for it. It is not safe for life. Oh, mm. Ooh, for life. Yeah. Okay. Don't look at it if you are affected by seeing the dead. You should not. Don't um, look at it. Don't look at it. <laughs> so basically the hostage takers reiterate, we have nothing to lose. We've covered 2,000 kilometers by coming here. There is no way back. We've come here to die. Our motto is freedom and paradise. We already have freedom as we're here in Moscow and now we want to be in paradise. Ooh. So the man that gets in the building... He says that his eight-year-old son is among the captives. He fucking wasn't. Um, he gets in there and he goes, Romy, your dad is here. Stand up. And there's silence. And then a gunman says to him, there is no son, is there? And he says, I guess not. And then he's led away and shot by the Chechens. Oh, why? Why? Why did he do that? We never find out. His body's cremated before it's identified. His name, they think, is Grenady Vlack, but they have no fucking idea. Um, and I use like, I, I use my uni stuff to like find papers that have been oh, written on this. Um, I love that shit. It's so good. But, uh, cause it was really hard to find information on it because a lot mm-hmm. of it has been censored, um, by the Russian government. Uh, <laughs> and you know, it was reported on a little bit around Europe at the time, but like, and obviously, you know, Al Jazeera got a hold of things. They were interested, but uh, Russia did a really good job of keeping shit quiet on like what actually happened. They've had a lot of practice. Yeah. So (laughs) now I wanted to have a quick look at who some of the hostage takers were because it's really, it sort of fucks you up. There's a lot of, like I said, um, a good chunk of them, as much as half, maybe more, um, were female, um, which is interesting in these scenarios because they're not wives of the hostage takers or anything like that. They're primarily educated women. They are mostly women who had lost brothers, husbands, fathers in the war. Um, many were in their early 20s. Um, they stayed with the hostages and basically watched their movements the whole time. Like I said, they have the suicide belts on. Um, at least 18 of them do anyway. And while the men patrolled the corridors and met with press officials, public figures, etc., who came to negotiate, uh, the hostages later said that most of the women stayed with them all the time and a lot of them wept as they sat with their bombs. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's a chilling image. So sad. It's really, really sad. There's um, a video that uh, some of the press had been given um, while they were inside and one of the female hostage takers speaks during it. Um, and it's just really haunting just to, to see how, I don't know, there's something about her voice and her face. She's very lovely and she seems like a very sure, intelligent person. And just knowing that, like, she probably sat out there and cried standing next to 50 kilos of plastic bomb. It's really fucked up. It's really sad. So midnight of day three, a male hostage called Dennis Grubkiv, he's 30, he ran over the backs of the theatre seats. He lost his shit. He basically was like, fuck this. And he ran straight towards the female commandos sitting with the largest explosive device. He shot at and missed, uh, and instead the bullets wound two other hostages, uh, Tamara Stakov 
and it fatally wounds a man called Pavel Zarkov. Mm. Yeah. The hostage takers really wanted it to be known that they did not want these people to be hurt. They didn't mean to shoot them. So they were evacuated to get medical attention um, straight away. Tamara did not get to take her family with her and she never saw her husband or daughter again. Oh, my God. I know. Dennis Damn it, Dennis. I know, Dennis, fuck. Well, his dead body was found shot outside the main auditorium much oh, later. Geez. Nice. Yeah. So Dennis didn't exactly do well either. Um, but, yeah. So fourth day. The Chechen envoy appeals to the hostage takers, basically pleading them to stand down. Like, they're like, we don't want this. Don't do this. Um, we didn't tell you to do this. Come fucking home. Leave those people alone. Um, two Russian special forces members are injured by a grenade fired from the building when they enter the dedicated no man's land that surrounds it. Um, and the Russian special forces leak info to the media that they are going to be storming the building at 3am. So 3am rolls around and the captors, uh, have now heard about this storming that's going to happen at 3am and they start shooting. Um, but no attack actually comes. And so naturally the hostage takers relax because nothing happened. At 5 a.m., the floodlights illuminating the main entrance go out. A few moments later, smoke begins to flood the auditorium within the theatre. Hostages and captors quickly realise that the smoke is in fact a gas. It's been pumped through the building's ventilation systems and it causes immediate panic among the captives. (gasps) So Mm -hmm. it's later stated by the Russian health minister to be an aerosol anaesthetic based on fentanyl, which is an opioid used in pain medication for anaesthesia. A hostage called Anna Adrianov, uh, a journalist with a Russian newspaper, immediately calls a radio station during a live broadcast and she said, it seems to us that the Russians have started something. Please give us a chance. If you can do anything, please do. I don't know which gas it is, but I see the Chechens' reactions. They don't want our deaths and our officials want nothing, none of us to leave this place alive. I don't know. We see it. We feel it. We are breathing it through our clothes. It began from the outside. That's what our government has decided, that no one should leave from here alive. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Full scorched earth. I forgot yep. this is about poisonings. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I forgot. I know. The misdirect. <gasps> so some of the Chechens have gas masks and they start firing blindly into the Russian special forces outside, but the special forces just wait 30 minutes for the gas to take effect before they begin their assault. Um, They enter through the front door, the roof, and the basement. Um, The captors told the hostages to lean forward in their seat and cover their heads. Uh, As soon as the captors and captors were like, began breathing in the gas, though, unfortunately it was pretty much done. They began to fall unconscious. Um, Several female captors attempted to run for the balcony but passed out before reaching their destination. They were later found shot dead. Oh, fuck. An hour and a half of on and off fighting takes place. Um, Some people weirdly were not affected by this gas. Like before the Russian special forces storm the building, there's some captives, like there's only a few, but some of them run out and their stories are devastating because some of them are like young people from the cast. It was a very young cast of um, actors and they tried to wake their friends up. They tried to drag their friends out of there and they just couldn't do it. And so they had to walk out alone despite everyone else having passed out. Yikes. Yeah. Because you said it's an part of an anesthetic, right? Yeah. Because, like, some people, such as myself, are, like, super just – their bodies just don't re- react to anesthetics the same way some other people do. 
I I need a lot of it to knock me out. (laughs) So that could definitely be a reason why they were like not as like affected. I don't know. But still, that is horrible. Yeah, exactly. But I think you're right. I think it's probably got a lot to do with it. Mm. Um, Yeah. So most of the hostage takers are killed in the fighting, uh, but some were apparently removed with handcuffs, three of them. However, later, the government claims that all the terrorists were killed in the storming of the building. Nobody actually mm. was taken away in handcuffs, supposedly. Mm. Mm. So at 7am on the fourth day, the bodies of the hostages are carried from the building and laid on the pavement out the front. The Russian special forces have successfully stormed the building. They have killed all the hostage shakers or led them away in handcuffs. Um, Mm. And they begin removing the hostages from the building who are still passed out. None witnessed by the media seemed to have bullet wounds or were bleeding, but their faces were chalky, waxy, white, pale and drawn, their eyes open and blank. Oh. Oh. So medical workers were not told what kind of chemical agent had been used and they were not prepared for a chemical agent to be used. They'd expected gunshots, wounds from explosions. That's what they had on hand to try and help with. Mm. So for the type of chemical they supposedly used, um, it could have been countered with an opioid receptor antagonist. So basically they could have done something and they did not Mm. because they did not know. Some hostages were still alive, just unconscious, Uh, some of them were probably already dead at this point. Um, Ordinary city buses were brought in, not ambulances, even though they were surrounding, like standing by, but some ordinary city buses were brought in and the bodies were just dumped onto the buses. Um, Initially, they were then driven to a hospital, like various different hospitals. Um, And initially crisis representatives went to the location where family members of the hostages were being held and basically said, oh, no, there's no casualties among the hostages. We're fine. We were successful. Everything's great. Um, I don't know why the fuck they did that because some people were definitely already dead at that stage. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to find out that they're dead eventually, but I guess Russia's got ways of covering that shit up if there's only a couple. So maybe that's what they hoped. So the official statement initially claims that there were no children killed. At 9am, they finally confirmed that hostages had been killed. At 1pm, they announced an initial death toll of 67 hostages said to have been killed by the Chechens. (coughs) Armed guards are posted Mm. at the hospitals where the victims have been taken and doctors are ordered not to release anyone. So hostage families panicked. Uh, The government refused to actually tell them who had died. A new death toll is now given at 90, including 25 children. They're still pushing the story that the Chechens had executed the hostages and then a new death toll comes out of 118 and now they're not saying who killed them or what killed them. So 646 people were taken from the theatre and just piled into buses. 150 are in intensive care. There's an unknown number of dead. We're never actually given a concrete total. Estimates end up being 200 to 300. 73 of the hostages are never given any medical aid at all. Um, And money and valuables that have been on the victims, alive and dead, disappeared. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. So Russian authorities still maintained that none of the deaths among the hostages had occurred because of poisoning. Um, They spoke of health problems that were exacerbated by the three-day appeal, like it had been a horrible ordeal, there was very little food and water, they needed medical attention, um, and they just didn't get it. That's why they died. Yeah. All two to three hundred people. 
Um, sure, Jen. See, they probably, when they were gassing them, they probably didn't think of that. Yeah, probably didn't. Or they just didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. So the government says officially 130 hostages died, plus all 40 attackers. Um, the number of the attackers switches a lot. Like some people say there's 40, some people say there's 60, some people say there's 50. So another thing we will never know. Um, the There's an advocacy group for victims and relatives that say they have counted 174, but obviously they, they can't tell either. They say the victims choked on their own vomit, apparently swallowed their own tongues, but I've heard this isn't medically possible, but the tongue can block the throat and stop you from being able to breathe properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or they suffocated in the cramped buses that their bodies were literally just piled in, like thrown on oh, top of each other. Christ. The ordeal lasted for 57 hours. One of the women who had been in the hostage situation later said of her daughter, Nina remained in the hall forever. They never took her to a hospital. They never offered her any medical help. As the documents show, they just threw her in a bus to hide her from the television cameras. So there's a woman called Svetlana Gabriev who said that their, her fiancé was killed by the gas and that her daughter was far, found dead under a pile of unconscious bodies in a bus after it had arrived at the hospital hours later. Oh, my God. She may have been alive before she had people piled on top of her. So fucking careless. Yeah, they would have put the kids on first to get them away from the cameras. Don't want them to be seen, exactly. Yeah. So 12 mm. of the dead were actors from the play and two of them were child actors. Um, 700 surviving hostages were poisoned by the gas. So that's an idea of how many people were still in this theater. Um, some of them received injuries that led to disabilities as a result of this poisoning. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple Russian special forces dudes who were also poisoned by the gas. So it just goes to show that they did not have great equipment for dealing with this. Um, the court testimony of Dr. Uh, the director of the Russian Academic Bacteriology Center said most, if not all, of the deaths were caused by suffocation when hostages collapsed on their chairs with heads falling forwards or back or were transported and left lying on their back by the rescue workers in a position where their tongue prolapse caused blockage of breathing or where rain, which was falling at the time, drowned them. <gasps> yeah. Brutal. Um. So Vladimir Putin, have, sorry, what were you going to say? I have just a little side thing. Ooh. So I uh, was on fentanyl when I arrived at the hospital for my spine mm-hmm. things. And when they put it up my fucking nose, which I didn't know was going to happen, <laughs> um, I had to be uh, kind of like seated. Okay. So that my tongue wasn't going to go anywhere. Oh. oh and, you know, because I was like, it was my spine. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, and it fucks you up. Uh, you can't really move. Yeah. Uh, once you have it. Um, so I can just imagine like they could have been, you would have been pi- like piled on and they wouldn't have had any chance to move. They would no. have, I, I lost my phone on my lap like seven times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy I mean, shit. it was good shit, but um, <laughs> I was really surprised at how like you were instantly not in control. Yeah. Of, yeah, your body. And, and what you like had that. was a controlled dose. Yeah. Yeah, I had a controlled dose. Yeah, yeah that's just blasted into yeah. the fucking air. I had a fucking bootleg Russian dose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. That they but I also think up that, in three like, days. Yeah. 
Yeah, but also like this, the Russian special forces who entered, they would have been like the fittest lads ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if they were having, yeah, yeah, it's fucked up. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> we're nearing the end, I promise. Um, no, no, I'm into it. No, <laughs> I just can't. Is, I just can't believe it. This is so wild. It's and so I've wild. never heard of it. No, yeah. never. It's and we, we do the deep dives, like we go hard at 3 a.m. on the internet to dark places, yes. and I've never heard of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. The um the whole reason I came across this was because, uh like, I do my natural thing and I start looking at Wikipedia lists of related to what we're looking at this week. But um I had heard about a, um I think it was the Belarus theatre situation that had also happened, um like, in the early 2000s. And I thought this was the same thing. I was like, how was Poison involved in that? And then I was like, oh, this is way fucking weirder. Oh. So, yeah, super interesting. Never heard of it ever, ever. There's not a lot Mm. about it outside of, like, the sources that I found. It sort of kept leading back to the same places. Um, But, yeah, so Vladimir Putin defended the scale and the violence of the assault in a televised address later on the morning of the 26th of October, um, stating that the government had achieved the near impossible, saving hundreds of people. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> and that the rescue proved that it is impossible Sorry. to bring Russia to its knees. Like my mm. voice when you cough cannot be brought to mm. its knees. Um, <laughs> so uh, he was really unhappy by the coverage of a lot of the um, tele- television stations, particularly one called NTV. Um, and the money oh, yes. yeah the management was promptly replaced so oh sinister yeah exactly 10 years on uh probes into the death are still happening and investors like this is obviously 10, 10 years later in 2012 it is now 2020 so even today we still don't know what the fuck happened um but there's still no release of even preliminary findings of what happened which is why there's so little about this, I guess, because the only information we get is either what the media from outside of Russia's control was able to give us, what Russia has given us, and then that's it. Uh, So there's a lot of confusion over the identities of the hostage takers as well as some of the hostages. Um, Like I said before, apparently Baraev, the main um, leader of the group who was only 23, was in police custody at the time of the attack and couldn't have led the movement, apparently, who was also dead uh, 10 days beforehand. Checks out. Yep. Same with a number of the female hostage takers. Uh, They were supposedly dead or they were in police custody when this was happening, um, as with uh, so-called Abu Bakr, whose name we don't actually know. Um, So in December of 2011, uh, a European Court of Human Rights published its judgment on the case and basically ordered Russia to pay 64 applicants a total of 1.3 million euros in compensation. Not that much, not that many people even applied for it by the looks of things because 64 of 900 odd is pretty low. Yeah. So the analysis of the drug residue from the clothing of two British hostages who'd been there at the time and the urine of a third British hostage who Russia couldn't shut down um, by a team of researchers at a chemical and biological defence laboratory in Wiltshire, England, uh, found that two fentanyl derivatives were used and neither of those two were fentanyl or three methyl fentanyl, um, which is something that basically the Russian Minister of Health said it was. Um, Mm. he did not specify which derivative, but it was neither of those two. So it was some other crazy fucking shit. 
Um, Unregulated. Exactly. So uh, the Russian press warned that the death of so many hostages would severely damage President Putin's popularity. Wrong. Um, <laughs> shortly after the siege, the Russian president had a public record approval rating. Uh, he, in December of 2002, so two months later, 83% of Russians reportedly declared themselves satisfied with Putin's rule and the handling of the siege. Sure, Jan. Yeah. Sure, Jan. So, you know, everyone's happy, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's the end of my story. I have some sources and a little bit of extra bits and bobs for you about these sources because you might want to go look at them because no one's obviously heard of this before. Yeah. Um, so the first documentary that I watched which was paid for by the Russian government. Uh, it's on YouTube called Surviving Terrorism, and the little side uh, title for it is 10 Years On, Why Moscow Terror t- Theatre Terror Attacked Survivors Choose Life. Okay. Um, so that Poor video, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that video just said it was a sleeping gas and not everyone could be saved. Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, my other source that was really useful was uh, Radio Free Europe has a bunch of articles on it. Um, if you just go to Radio Free Europe, radioliberty.org, uh, and you type in Dubrovka Theatre Siege, you'll find a couple of articles. Um, I've read four or five of them because you just click links when you're in there. Click, click, click. Click, click, click. Uh, and then I also read a paper that were by some Netherlands researchers um, that was on Brill.com uh, about the Moscow terror attack. And then finally, my last documentary that I watched that I would only recommend if you are strong-stomached and not going to be very upset by it uh, is on Vimeo. Um, It's called Dan Reed's Terror in Moscow, uh, and it is quite upsetting. There are dead bodies. Um, We see the shot-up bodies of the attackers, and we also see the bodies of the young people that had died uh, who were just hostages. Um, there was a really fucking terribly sad story in it. One of the hostages lost her husband and her young son, but she survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, she took one look at her son's body in the morgue, walked outside, traded her Reading Wing for a ride to a nearby bridge and jumped, and she didn't even pass out. So she's just telling this story about what she did afterwards and just trying to keep a brave face. Um, and the woman that's with her is just clutching her hand, like sort of mm-hmm. bowing her head. It's so hauntingly sad. Oof. And yeah, that is the Moscow Terror Theatre attack. A uh, thank you. Holy no shit. Worries. <laughs> that was great. Horribly sad, harrowing, and I loved every second of it. Thank you, thank you. Very on brand for Laura. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she always Fucked comes correct. Up. It's good. <laughs> she always comes correct. I can't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> and we love you for it. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Yes, that's so crazy. Isn't it? I'm still like reeling from that. Just mm-hmm. yeah, it's a lot. I um started sort of picking a, a couple of different ones. I was like, that's really cool. That's really cool too. And then I started reading this one and I couldn't stop. And then I realized that like my notes were eight pages long, and I was like, yeah. no, I've come too far. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> She's found it. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone uh, for listening at home. As always, weirdsisterspodcast.com for all your social media. Uh, tags and handles leave us a comment leave us some feedback on itunes uh like us on spotify do all the good things interact with our posts we love you for it um 
as always, any extra research you do in your own time, we encourage curiosity here at Weird Sisters. But please look after yourselves. If you don't want to see a dead body, don't go looking for it. Because no. you'll see one. You will. And we know that yeah. first hint. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You don't um, want to think about it later. Yes. Stay home, wash your hands, protect Halloween. We love you all. Spooky season. Really excited for our next episode because it's Halloween episode. Fuck. Yes. Mm. Yes. Super keen. Yes. Super keen. Love Guys it. out for that at home, my loves. And goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.